Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Uh, I want to open. I'm just going to pray for us before we jump in this morning. So. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here in our midst. And I say, I speak right now, Lord, that you would come and awaken our souls to receive. Come and awaken our hearts to be fathered by you again. I pray, Father, that on Father's Day, their true Father, the, the Father of Fathers, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we welcome you to come and father us again today. Right where we're at, no matter where we're at, no matter our level of fathering that we've received from you, Lord, would you come and father us afresh today in Jesus' name, amen. I'm hungry to be fathered this morning. I I am hungering and thirsting for more of the Father's heart today, and I'm hungering for myself and for each of you here. It's Father's Day, and so I'm going to preach a Father's heart message. We used to preach this message all the time. Like if you were like with us in the old days, we would preach it. Literally the joke was every Sunday, what's the topic going to be? It's going to be the Father's heart. That's what it is for like a whole year. And so we preached it because we knew the revelation was critical for each of us to get. And I believe, I felt it today, even as we were in worship, I was like, oh my gosh, the power of the worship is the fact that there's sons and daughters worshiping in the space. Like, we're not, it's not this distant, disconnected entertainment sort of experience. It's an intimate family gathering. And so the enemy is terrified of sons and daughters, petrified. Like, I mean, if the church, if we just produce a bunch of like apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers that aren't sons and daughters, we will not gain the ground that God's called us to gain in this city. We have to produce sons and daughters. And so that's what I want to preach on today. Um, and I, and I know no matter how many times you've heard this message, no matter if you've been here forever and you heard a million times, the father heart, there's more of it for you today. There's more of it for you. Just, I want you to say that with me. There's more for me today. (laughs) There's so much more. I'm getting more right now. Um, so just to jump in, I want to give a shout out to my father, um, my dad was, he still is, he's alive. Um, and, and some of you, I just want to recognize some of you, your fathers are, are not alive today and it's probably a day of sadness for you. Or maybe you've, you're estranged from your father for, for some other reason. And so I want to acknowledge that in the room and say, God wants to meet you in that place too. Be, because he, he does raise up earthly fathers that, that help us to understand our heavenly father. There's a real connection between your, how you engage with your earthly father and how you view your heavenly father. But what I want to talk today in part is that even in those gaps, right, where our earthly father maybe isn't present, they passed, or our earthly father ha- had missteps, had mistakes, had big ones or small ones, even in those gaps, the Lord fills in those gaps, like he, and part of my testimony, and so many in this room that I know, your testimony is you were fathered by your heavenly father, and that's how you're whole. You're not whole because you came from a great family. You're whole because you were fathered by the father of fathers. And that testimony bears such weight and power, especially in a city like this, where there's lots of orphans running around. There's lots of people that don't know who they are, that don't, that don't have 
anyone who's ever come alongside them and shepherded them and, and fathered them and loved them. And so when you have that, when that testimony comes to bear, people are going to turn to you and say, who's your father? How do you know? How, how do you live so secure? How do you live so full of love and peace and joy? Where do you get it? I've been fathered by my heavenly father, the true father. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, no matter what type of father you had, today God wants to father you. And so for my earthly father, he, my dad would give me, literally, if I ask him for the shirt off his back, he would probably give it to me. Like, that is the type of man he is. I mean, I'm, I'm driving his car around, like, right now, because I asked for it. So he said, sure, you want my car? I have my car. And even when I was a kid, if I asked for certain things, my dad would make sure to give it to me. And so I had, um, I asked this in the first service, I had, a, I had a bone collection as a kid. How many people in here have had a bone collection growing up? Yes, there's, there's people, see, you guys are my, you're my guys. Nobody in the first service, you know, had that, but I feel good now, so I'm not, I'm not that weird, but I said, if you're in, if you grew up in New York City and you have a bone collection, that's creepy, and we got to pray for you after service, but I didn't grow up in New York, I grew up in the, in the woods, and so I had a bone collection, lots of, you know, cow bones, and, you know, no dinosaur bones, but but anyway, my dad knew I loved it, so we would go hiking. So my, my dad and I, we loved to hike together and camp and fish and all that. And we went hiking one day, and my dad set me up. He was a jokester. And so he took, he found a deer skull, and he put it somewhere along the trail, right? And I'm like, I don't know, seven years old. I'm walking along the trail, and I see this deer skull. I'm like, oh, my gosh, a deer skull. And I pick it up, and it's got all these engravings and markings. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like a trophy, you know, moment for my collection. And so I take it back home, and I'm like, Dad, what do you think of these markings? I was like, it's Native Americans, I'm sure. Native Americans marked this bone. So it was my treasured possession. Um, when I got to 14 and I realized I don't need a bone collection and girls don't like that, I went to throw my bones out, and I look at the like, deer skull, and I realize the engravings are all on a Sharpie marker. <laughs> and it's like doodles, you know? I'm like, my dad, he tricked me. But... I say all that to say, like, I, I, have, I have a pretty great relationship with my father in terms of we are connected, we do things together, he's present in my life. And, and I, because he will give me literally the shirt off his back, right now we're going through this period, we don't know what's happening with, you know, recession, inflation. To be honest, it does not worry me. Why does it not worry me? Because my dad will give me everything I need. Everything. Literally, my dad would give me all the money in his bank account. And so I know that I'm provided for because I have an earthly example, an earthly father that has modeled that particular quality, which happens to also be a quality of God. He's the God who provides. And so I would encourage you today, no matter who your father is or what they did or didn't do, find the gold, find the things that they did right and use that, connect that to your heavenly father to get revelation about who he is. God's a provider. I know it because my earthly father displays it. And then go tell your father how they've blessed you. No matter if they were the worst father in the world, you go find that gold. It's there. And you go bless and you honor them today. And I'm telling you, there's power in that. And you'll find when you get that relationship right, you'll find your relationship with God also starts to be fixed, starts to be molded, starts to change. And so it's really important today that you do that. And if, if your father is not around, not alive, find somebody that is a father-like figure in your life and, and do the same. Honor them. Honor them and find the gold.
So today, as we're talking about fatherhood and fathers, I want to ask you these questions before we jump in. Do you see God as a father? Do you see him that way? It's a big facet of who he is. Scripture talks a lot about it. But do you see him as a father? Number two, have you allowed God to father you? You know it by word. You know that that's a name of his, a father. But have you let him father you? Number three, do you view him through the lens of your earthly father? Or do you see him as he truly is? Do you view God through the lens of your earthly father and what he maybe didn't provide? Or do you see God as he truly is? And I would add this one too. Do you believe God is distant or that he's intimate and connected to your life? Because many of us have fathers that are very distant. So what do you believe about your heavenly father? Is he distant? Does he manage the world from afar? Kind of hands off? Or is he intimately connected with your very day, with your very details of your life? I want to read this quote. It's by J.I. Packer. It's his book, Knowing God. Here's what it says. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. It's the bedrock of our faith. Is Part of it is knowing God as a father. And I can't father, I have three kids, I can't father them at all if I'm not allowing myself to be fathered. I've got nothing to give. Or all I have to give is what my dad gave me. And my, and my dad didn't grow up in the Lord. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. He only has to give me what he has from his earthly father. But guess what? I've got a wellspring to give my kids because I'm drawing from him, but I'm also drawing from God the Father. And if I allow him to father me, my gosh, I have so many resources for my kids. Way more, way more than I could get from my earthly inheritance. Now, Jesus modeled this revelation of God as the father. He modeled it. So in the Old Testament, God is father. God is referred to as a father. It's literally only like a dozen times. It's very sparse that you hear that correlation with God and the word father put together. In the New Testament, it's hundreds of times. Hundreds of times, God is referred to as a father in the New Testament. And that was primarily through the mouth of Jesus. He modeled something that was already in the scriptures, but was not yet emphasized or understood. And he came and part of his function as, as the Messiah, the king of the world, was to model God as a father. And how many know it drew, especially the religious people, it drew, it, it made them go crazy. They couldn't stand it when Jesus would talk about God as his father. He said, how dare you? How dare you put yourself on the same level as God himself, because that's what he was saying. He was saying, me and I and the Father are one. I only do what I see the Father doing. And the, the intimate relationship, the Pharisees couldn't wrap their minds around it. It drew them, it, it, it drew them to kill him. You know, that was, that, was the, that was the nail in the coffin for them. Jesus calling himself the Son of God, saying, this is my Father. So this is a massive revelation and one worth our digging into today. Um, you know, Jesus prayed a lot. We talk about that because we're a house of prayer. <laughs> but we don't have a whole lot of insight into necessarily those conversations, right? 
we, we, we hear the, the Lord's Prayer, and he teaches disciples how to pray, but there's only a few places in Scripture where you actually get to hear what the Father's saying to Jesus. Just a few. And so I want to read those this morning. Um, one of them is Matthew 3. And this is when Jesus is about to be baptized by John the Baptist. So Matthew 3, starting at verse 16. Here's what it says. Look at what the Father says to the Son. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How powerful is that? That, that statement is public information now. Everybody sees it. And this is on the cusp of Jesus starting his ministry. He had approval from his father. And that was, that was the one thing that they heard. Matthew 17, this is the second example um, of hearing the father in the scriptures. 17, starting at verse 4. And this is... This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And I love this scene because you got Peter, James, and John, the main three. God's taking them up there. Jesus is taking them up on the mountain. And Jesus is starting to, his clothes are dazzling. And there's a lot of supernatural stuff going on. And Elijah and Moses are there. It's getting kind of weird. <laughs> and Peter doesn't know what to do. And I love that they put this in here. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that's like the silliest thing. I bet he's like, please edit that out of the scriptures. Can you not put that in there? Because I was just awkward. Um, so he says that because he doesn't know what to say. But while he was speaking, a bright cloud covers them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, identity, whom I love, his heart. And with him, I am well pleased. Acceptance. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. What did that voice sound like? The voice of God. And he sang the same themes that we read in Matthew 3. This is my son. He's mine. Whom I love, he's loved. And whom I am well pleased, he's accepted. Why do you think those are the only words of God directly to Jesus that we have in the scriptures? The only ones that at least got recorded. These are important words. This is an important reality. Because you and I are sons and daughters. When God speaks that to Jesus, he's speaking it to all the sons and daughters that would come after him. So Jesus is the ultimate son. He's the son of man and the son of God. Fully God, fully human, he's the example of the son that we all come underneath that example. He's not doing something that is for Jesus. He's doing something that is for us. So the fact he called himself a son is very significant. John 1, starting at verse 9. See, Jesus models sonship, and then he invites sons and daughters into this reality that we are children. 
So I'll read this. John 1, starting at verse 9. And this is the beginning of the book of John. Talk about Jesus as the true light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He didn't give them the right to be saved, though they did receive salvation. Jesus gave them the right to be, you and I the right, to become children of God. It's being children that we get blessed by when we come into the kingdom. See, some of us, we just came into the kingdom and we thought it was about being saved. We thought it was about being in heaven. He says, no, I'm building a family and you're being adopted. That's what's happening here. This is not some salvation sort of, now you get to be on my team. You're coming into the kingdom to be a part of my family. It's a different narrative than some of us were, were taught. It's a very different narrative and we got to catch it if we're going to walk as sons and daughters. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 4. Here's what it says, same theme. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that's by, because of the blood of Jesus. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Isn't that good? It's like the same thing God spoke over Jesus Paul is writing and saying he speaks it over you. He speaks it over you. He says you are adopted into sonship because of the love of God by his pleasure and will. It was his joy to adopt you. It was his joy to pluck you out of whatever life you were and, and to bring you into his kingdom and for you to be born anew in Christ. It was his joy. It brought him great pleasure. We can't hear that enough. It was his joy to adopt you. And now the word adoption is actually, in, in this context, it's stronger than to be a natural son or daughter. It, it, it's more significant, in fact, in this culture to be adopted. Now, we don't necessarily think about that in our culture, but it's kind of powerful if you do think about it a bit. You know, a natural son or daughter, that you're a family, part of the family because that's where you were born in. An adopted son or daughter, you were chosen. You were grabbed. God said, I want you, and it's permanent. The papers are signed, sealed, delivered. You are his, he is yours. It's a powerful reality. I want to read Luke 15. So you can turn your Bibles to Luke 15. I'm going to read this whole section here. And this is the parable of the prodigal son which I will rename the parable of the generous, loving father. Because it's a parable about a father more than it is about a son. There's actually multiple sons involved, but it's the love of the father that is the focal point. And this is Jesus telling, and here, just a little context. So this whole chapter um, in Luke, what, chapter uh, 15, Right before this, the, the parables that are being told are the ones of the lost sheep, where Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one, and the lost coin, where the woman is searching. So it's all about God's heart 
to reach the lost. And, and so now he's taking these same analogies and he's packaging it in a parable about a father because it's a father's pursuit of a son, which is the centerpiece of the gospel itself. And so he's giving them context because the Pharisees don't get it. They don't get the father heart of God, that God's actually in love with all these people who they deem sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, that he's actually in love with them, in love with them so much that he's going to pursue them with everything he has, and he's not going to stop, and he's not going to be disrupted by their issues, by their problems, not going to off-put him. And so that's the context of this parable. Starting at verse 11, Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set out for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So this son basically, because in that culture you wait to, and like in ours mostly, you wait till your, your father dies in order to receive your inheritance. He basically told him, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, and I want to live like you were dead, so give me my part of the estate. Give it to me now. And so it was so distasteful what he did to his father. And so just keeping that in context, Jesus, of course, knows this. He's living in first century, the first century world. And, and not only that, he takes all that money, right, and he squanders it, just some complete nonsense. On, you know, and the, and the, and the brother tells us a bit later what that was, but he squanders it completely. So he's wasting everything that the father has won for him. Everything the father's done, he's squandering it, all right? So I'm just recapping so that we get the magnitude of this next section. But while he was still a long way off, and he's thinking, oh, I'm just going to go back and be a servant. I'm just going to go be a hired hand. At least I can eat. Like, he doesn't have, like, great, it's not like he was like, oh, I love my father so much. Can't wait to go home to him. He's just like, well, it's a better life than what I'm living. His heart's not even, not even in that posture, right? But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This is the father's heart. He did not deserve any of it. But the father's love and compassion drew him to run to his son. He didn't ask questions. He ran, he hugged him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Don't you love that? Don't you think maybe the servants had a different opinion maybe about the situation too? But when the father says, no, he's mine and we're going we're gonna to re- we're going to totally redeem the situation. We're going to put a robe on him. We're going to put sandals on him. We are going to act like he never left. And in fact, we're going to celebrate him more than we ever did before. Everybody else gets underneath it. Like, all right, I guess this is okay. We're going to celebrate him. I bet there was different opinions. But the father, his opinion is what matters. And they followed his opinion. And so should we. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And we came near to the house. He heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father sent out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, gave, you, gave me, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he is found. This is every one of our stories. I don't care if you you know, fell hard in life, this is your story, just as much as it is the prodigals, right? I say, God, sing home, bring home the prodigals. We're all prodigals. We all need to come home. Amen. And his grace and his mercy is so great, and his love is so tremendous that he welcomed us regardless of what we came with. And we came with some bad stuff. We came with some bad history, some bad past. And the eldest brother doesn't want to have anything to do with it because he didn't get the love of God. He didn't get the father heart of God. And I, I propose to you, we've raised a lot of elder brothers up in churches, and I used to be one. True confessions. I used to have that sort of elder brother mentality, and I got to watch. Sometimes you go back into that nonsense, but it's real because you see how loving and how incredible the love of God is, and it's offensive sometimes. It's offensive to see certain people who have done all the wrong things, and God will reach in, and he'll redeem them in such a way, and can we celebrate that? Can we celebrate the fact that he pulls them out in such a beautiful way that we're like, but I had to do all this. I had to do inner healing and all this, and this guy just gets off the floor for three hours, and he's filled and healed and, and he's got a ministry and he's, he's, he's you know, operating in the, in the workplace in a crazy way. We got to celebrate those things. Got to not let our hearts get too offended by the love of God, by his compassion, by his mercy. You know, Bill preached last Sunday about Mary and Mary Bethany and her her posture, right? She was always at the feet of Jesus. What a great example of a daughter's posture. She wasn't doing, she wasn't in that Martha mentality of just trying to serve and do everything for the Lord. And there's a place for that, but, but Mary understood that she could sit at his feet. She wasn't busy trying to do all these things for him. She wasn't acting like a hired hand. 
which is essentially what the elder brother was. He was a hired hand. He didn't recognize that he had full access to the father, that all the father had was his. He was busy trying to do things for the father. And then lo and behold, the father's like, you have full access to me. What are you complaining about? So Mary is a beautiful picture of that. And I'll have to say, my wife's not here, but she's very much this Mary type of figure. And uh, in, in, in terms of how she relates with the Lord. And um, my elder brother's side got delivered a bit when I ma- got married to her. Um, and because I would get around her, like I, was, I got saved and I was doing ministry. I was trying to save people and go out and do all this stuff. And I was fundraising and it, just, it took a lot of time and energy. And I'd get around her and she didn't have to fundraise. She didn't have to like, she would just be with the Lord. She got a house for free. Like she would just, and literally she didn't have to do anything but like hang out and minister to high school kids and be with the Lord. And so we go and I'm trying to strategize how I'm going to do ministry. And she's just like, I love you, Lord. I love you. She's like praying in tongues. And she's like, I'm just like looking at her like, this is annoying. Like, why aren't you working harder? Why aren't you like me? And it would agitate me. And the Lord's like, I want to work on that. You got to get that out of you. It's good that she's praying in tongues. It's good that she's spending countless hours with me. Why don't you do that? <laughs> but he said it in a loving way. All right. I got to put some context here because I don't want to go elder brother again. <laughs> he said, "Come, would you come away with me? Would you come and just lean into my heart? Would you come and stop trying to do things you think I want and actually lean into my heart and know what's on it? It's very different. It's very different. You know, if you act like a hired hand for the Lord, you're going to be burned out so fast. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You can get burned out because you're working for the Lord. You're, doing, you're here to please him, but you don't know his heart. And there's no intimacy. There's no oil. There's no oil that the gears start grinding in your soul. <laughs> That's real. I'm telling you because I've lived it. You get bored. You get bored even though you're doing God's work, but you're not tapping into his heart. So you're not living out of sonship. You're living like a hired hand. Hired hands have a hard time receiving, and that's what I was having a hard time with. with I'm seeing Vanessa being so receptive, and it offended me because I couldn't receive like that. So we do well to get around people that receive well and learn from them. You know, I went through a season where I would just receive. Anybody would give me a compliment. I mean, most compliments. Some of them, you know, don't receive all compliments. But most of them, I'd be like, I received that. Thank you so much. Instead of like, no, 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 like, whatever. I'd be like, no, thank you. Thank you. Yes, that's who I am, and I receive it. We got to get in that heart posture if we're going to be sons and daughters. One of receiving, not of trying to work for things. Receiving what Jesus has done for us. Receiving what others say about us. Receiving our inheritance. Receiving is really, really important if you're going to be a son and a daughter. Here's the good news. We have a secret weapon at our disposal to keep us in the place of the, in, in the reality that we're sons and daughters. And the secret weapon lives in our hearts. The secret weapon is, in fact, the Holy Spirit that God placed in us. And so I want to read a scripture to make sure that you know I'm not crazy, that this is real. Galatians 4, the Spirit of God 
Check this out. This is how we stay in an attitude and an understanding of our sonship, that we're sons and daughters. Galatians 4, starting at verse 4. It says, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, here's the word, adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You're no longer a slave. You're God's child. You've been made an heir. The spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father. It cries out to your dad. And it it actually confirms who you are. So sometimes, like on Friday night, if you hear Friday night, there was like a stirring going on in, by the Holy Spirit inside people, and it like bubbles up out of you, like, oh my gosh, God, I love you. Oh my gosh, God, you love me. Like, oh my gosh, I am secure. I am a son and a daughter. And, and, and so it comes up, and it's the Spirit of God in you confirming that you're not even of this world. You were born of another world, and you have been redeemed fully, and you are safe and secure in that reality as a son, as a daughter. So sometimes, honestly, if we want to know who we are as sons and daughters, pray in tongues. Like, stir up the Spirit of God in you. Like, remind yourself through the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of who you are because the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. How important is this reality? That's the first thing that we hear about the Spirit. It's crying, Abba, Father. You see this as well in Romans, and I'll I'll get to that. Um, So this new creation life springs up in our hearts and it tells us that we're sons and daughters because we have to know it. So I encourage you today, I said this earlier, but I think it's really important. No matter where you're at, like no matter if you thought about being a son and daughter for a long time, you need to re-sign up to that reality today. You're a son and a daughter because the spirit inside you is crying out saying that, but do you, are you cultivating that? Are you agreeing with that? Are you allowing yourself to be fathered? I want, to do, I want to go through, just as we're wrapping up here, th- three traits that I find in the scriptures of sons and daughters. What does it look like to be a son and a daughter in the house of the king? What's it look like to have God as your father? Number one, sons and daughters know what their father is doing. They, know what they have inside information because they're in the family. And so God tells them what he's doing. And God, God speaks to you about things that are happening. It's not like you just have to Get it from somebody else. You don't got to wait for the prophet or for, or for some man or woman of God to hear God and know what he's doing. You have the spirit of God in you. And so if we look at um, John 5, John 5, Jesus heals the man in the pool of Bethsaida. And he heals this man who's been lame for 30-some years. And, and it drives the Pharisees crazy. It, it drives them nuts. Um, because he, uh, I'll read it. I'll read it to you and you can hear it for yourself. John 5, starting at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, all right, that's the kicker. He did it on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, here's what Jesus says to them. He, I love that this is how he defended himself. His defense is, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. 
Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So Jesus, communing with his father, saw that his father was healing this man. So he touched this man, prayed for this man, healed this man. But guess what? Not everybody else got that memo because it's the Sabbath. So he challenged the traditions, the customs of, the, of that present context because he was so in tune with his father and he had inside information <laughs> that this is what God wanted to do. I think that's so important in the hour we live in that we know what the Father's doing. Because if not, in this world that we're currently in right now, in this culture, we, we're, gonna go, we're gonna go with the Pied Piper. And the Pied Piper is playing a tune, and you see it in culture and media, they're playing a tune, and everybody comes under that tune. And it's very pharisaical, to be honest. It's very much, this is how you do life, this is the, this is the custom tradition, it's, it's religious even, some of the things out on, that are put out on media that are secular. And they say, come, do what we do, you know, do the, do the pride month thing, do the, like, put the rainbow up, do, do all these things so that you're morally right, so that you're, so that you're aligned with, with what's right and true and good. But what does God say? What's God's heart? And we got to be careful because there's other voices as well that don't have God's heart and they, you know, and they rail against pride month and they, they may have good arguments, but there's no love. There's no love in their heart. I know the Father heart of God, and that's not it. I also know God made people this way, and that's not it either. So God, how do I come aligned with your heart? How do I be a son and daughter in the midst of these competing realities, narratives? I got to hear the Lord. I got to get his heart. Sons and daughters know what their father is doing, number one. Number two, sons and daughters receive discipline. Ooh. Discipline. I don't like that word. It's got to get a, we got to get, we got to rearrange that word. You know, I, um, I get disciplined a lot whenever I cut corners. Like if, even like little things, like I'll be like, yeah, I don't want to follow that traffic thing. I'm going to like just do a right turn no matter what they say. I always get busted. Always. And I just feel like God's like, no, you got to live above reproach. Like, I'm going to discipline you. You're not going to get away with even the littlest things, you know? I wouldn't change my Virginia's driver's license for so long when I moved here. Car windows bashed out like crazy. And I'm like, like literally three times my car windows bashed out. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? He's like, change your plates. I was like, okay. Do I think God's bashing out my car windows? No. But I do think that he disciplines us and that we need to listen. We need to listen. And even the little things, he'll bring a form of discipline. It's not bad. It's good. Because the context is a good and loving father. We're used to receiving discipline from people like your boss. It might be a punisher, right? Or even your, your father growing up. They're punishers. They don't have your heart. They don't have a heart for you in, in mind. But the father God, his heart for you is always good. If he disciplines you, it's because he loves you. It's because you're adopted in his family. And he's not letting you just run off and do things that are destructive to you. It's to give you life. It's to give you life. 
That's why he disciplines his, his sons and daughters. And so with that posture, we should be like, Lord, discipline me. Do it. Do it now so I don't have to face consequences later. Do it now. You know, my little daughter, um, Floey, she's like one years old. She's like this tall. She, um, she loves to, her, her, her sisters grab her face all the time because she's so cute. They squeeze her lips. And uh, so whenever she sees new people, she runs up to them and she's like, oh, a baby. And she squeezes that kid's face and like mauls them, you know, the baby's like, like screaming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like that parent. Like my kids are like abusing your kids. And I'm like, Chloe, like you can't, you can't grab people in the face. You can't maul them. That's not a form of love and affection. And she doesn't get it. Like she, and it's so hard for her to not, and I have to like hold her and be really firm with her and how many of you know, sometimes, especially in relational advice, God will give you something and you don't want to do it. You don't like it. it. It constrains you. It confines you. But in fact, he's giving you that advice to set you free. And I use the, the thing of relationships because that, I feel like it can be the hardest sometimes to, to let God, like, discipline and speak to us in those areas. Um, and because Floey's, that story is just too funny to not tell. Um, <laughs> So we have to allow for discipline. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, the son he delights in. So there's one of the Old Testament examples of a father being correlated with God. Proverbs 3. Now, Hebrews jumps on this. Luke jumps on this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12.7 says, Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have, had, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as though they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good nor that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. Boy, we need to be trained by the Lord to operate in righteousness, peace, so that we may live. Not so that we may feel bad and, feel, and get punished, so that we may live. That's his heart, that we may live. You know, this culture wants to tell you, it wants to tell us that we can, like, if you just follow your desires, then that's where life is. That's total nonsense. Don't follow just any desire that comes into your mind. Can you imagine if everybody, if we promoted that? Like, people say that, but it's like, can you imagine the thoughts that enter in? I had some crazy thoughts enter in my mind just this week. Can you imagine? I said, you know what? I think that's who I am. I'm just going to lean into that desire because I think they'll, that will fulfill me. God says, no, when you know me, I'll show you who you are. And you'll be led by my spirit as a son and a daughter, not by your desires. And some of your desires are good, and I'll show you which ones are good, which ones to lean into. Some of them aren't so good, so don't lean into them. That's what fathering looks like. That's what fathering feels like. And in the midst of that, sometimes we want to squirm. We want to get out of it because we don't want to be confined. You know, Pastor Bill, he's a father figure in my life. Sometimes I will ask things of him, and it's a risk to ask him, because what if he says no? 
But if I bring him in and he says no, and I don't like that, and it, urgh, like, I, I, want, I want to do this. And then later I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so much wisdom. Praise God, I let him in. How much more so with our Heavenly Father? Ask him. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Because we don't want to hear what he has to say. But we miss out on life. We miss out on freedom if we don't ask. Sal's word earlier, just ask. All right, so sons and daughters, my last one, I'm going to close. Sons and daughters know what their father is doing. Sons and daughters receive discipline. Sons and daughters live unafraid. Unafraid. That's why the enemy is terrified of sons and daughters. Because you're fearless. Because you're secure in him. So what do you got to lose? You're not afraid of anything. You know, Romans 8, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just paraphrase it real quick. You know, the spirit of God talks about the Holy Spirit coming to you once again, crying, Abba, Father. And it says that in that place, you will share in the sufferings of Jesus. The Spirit of God will drive you to things that make you suffer sometimes in the natural. But because you're a son and a daughter, you'll go. Because you're secure and you're safe. You'll do things that nobody else wants to do. You'll push back against things nobody else wants to push back against. And it will, it'll be a freeing satisfying reality because you're actually partnering with your father. But I don't, if you're not a son and daughter, I doubt you'll do the hard things, to be honest. And if you do them, you may, you're going to do them for your own glory. But if you're a son and a daughter, you'll do things. You'll stand for what's right and just and true, no matter the cost. Go worship team, could you guys come up? You know, today is also Juneteenth. You want to talk about the people that stood in the gap when it wasn't popular, and they said, slavery is wrong. They said, this is evil. This is immoral. This is disgusting. And even in this city, there's many, many people, and just because it's the North doesn't mean everything was hunky-dory. There, there was a lot of issues. There was a, a lot of nonsense going on. And certain people, men and women of God, and even men and women not of God, they took a stand. And they said, this is evil, and this is immoral. And it didn't matter what penalty they were going to pay, and some of them lost their lives over it. I mean, William Wilberforce and, you know, so many abolitionists, like they were willing to pay whatever the price, and I believe because they knew who the Heavenly Father was, and they knew that it was evil and immoral and disgusting, and they didn't care that it was culturally, it was culturally taboo for them to take a stand on these issues. I mean, there's churches, they burned to the ground because, even in this city, because they took that type of stand. They paid a cost, but they knew who they were, and they were unafraid to stand and they were discipled in righteousness and justice. They understood God's heart in a way that, in, in this present hour, if we're not willing to suffer with Jesus for, things, for the things that are righteous and just and good, we will miss whole aspects of who God is that we will only obtain when we're partnering with him in these areas. I, I wanna be fathered. I wanna be fathered. I need to be fathered again and again and again. You know, I, I was bragging on my dad earlier, but how many of you know there's things my dad didn't do right either? Just like your dad, just like my kids are going to deal with. 
And I want to share with you one of these stories because I think it relates to this afternoon because God wants to father you today. So when I was a kid growing up, I played baseball and I was a, a catcher. And um, I remember I had my first game and I'm getting ready to go out in the field and fear arose in me. And I didn't have the affirmation, didn't have the confidence. And I remember having to go to my dad because I'm a mess. I say, dad, like, I don't want to go in the game. And in that moment, I mean, it was a prime moment for my dad to just say, no, like, you're going to be fine. Get in there. You're going to be good. And he missed the moment. He missed it. And I didn't even remember it. Years later, 20, in my 20s, the Lord brings this storyline back up to me. He says, you remember that day? I say, yeah. I haven't thought about that for a while. He said, yeah, there's a lie that was deposited in your heart. And I want to father you through it. I said, okay. So what the Lord revealed to me was when I stepped back and kind of let fear lead in that moment, some other kid came in. I actually remember his name, Raphael. Raphael, Raphael. And he was, um, he was really good. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like, it's a good thing I didn't play because he's much better than I am. And the Lord was like, that was the lie. And since then, you've been backing up and not taking up your space. You're not, you haven't been stepping in. You've been letting fear rule your life because you weren't fathered right through that moment. So I could take that sozo, that, I think it was a sozo. I could take that moment and get offended at my dad and be like, why didn't he do that? He messed me up. Now the spirit of fear is all over my life. I could do that. But the Lord fathered me through it. How many of you know, some of us got information without revelation of the father heart and it messed us up. That's a good word, Cole. You got information about things that are dysfunctional and wrong, but you didn't have the father with you to help you work through it. And so you just got offended and mad and unforgiveness ruled and reigned. I don't want information unless I have a father by me to help me through it. So fortunately I did. I went back to that baseball field, literally just me and the Lord. And I had a conversation with my dad on that field. And he set me right. And I said, Lord, I close every door that was opened here. And I, I choose to be fathered by you. And fear will have no place in my life. <laughs> I felt the power of the Lord. He led me into that encounter. I didn't find that on my own. He led me in there because he's a father. And he knows how to lead his kids. Everybody stand for me, please. So, Father, we come before you today. We say, God, would you show us how to be fathered again? Would you re-father in us and pull out the roots and the lies that we believed, that were given to us, that were done to us? 
We want to be fathered by you even more. Even more, Lord, even more. You're not through. You're not through with your kids. I, I pray today that, Lord, that you would discipline us. Lord, we want to be disciplined. We want to, we want to hear even the hard things that we might live. God, we pray that you would deliver us from fear, from anxiety, from insecurity, from any orphan mentalities that would lead us astray, would make us feel like hired hands, would make us feel burnt out, running around, trying to please you, trying to do things apart from you. Lord, deliver us today. I want you to just declare this with me. Say, Father God, you are good. Your love endures forever and ever. So we come against a lie. Right now, I speak to any of those spirits that are oppressing you, that are trying to say God's not good, that he's not for you, that he's against you. And I declare and decree, you are a son and daughter. For those that have received Christ, who the son sets free is free indeed, and you are in the family. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about, you can be in the family. This family is for you. We wanna pray for you. We want you, we invite you during a ministry time we're going to do that in a little bit. We invite you to come up and receive prayer and tell the person praying for you, I want to be in the family of God. And we'll be happy to pray for you. But I want to go into a time of worship. And I want you, as you're worshiping, just meditate on God as a good and loving father. Sing to your father. Don't, don't sing to anyone else. Sing to your father. Sing to your father who loves you, who sent his only son, his only begotten son, that you might live and be with him in all eternity. Let's sing to our father. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.